0: Hi everyone and welcome to the Professional Services Pursuit, a podcast featuring expert advice and insights on the professional services industry. I'm Banu and today's episode is a recording from session two of our four-part LinkedIn Live series that Kentata is hosting. The goal of this series is to help navigate the path forward and uncover some great insights on how you can future-proof your professional services business. In this second session, I talked to Kentata's Chief People Officer, Gina Hartigan about prioritizing the employee experience amidst labor volatility. Gina had some really good insights, so we hope you enjoy the conversation.
1: Thank you, Banu. Hello, everybody. It's a pleasure to be here today.
0: Gina, you always have amazing energy, so looking forward to our conversation. We are living through some pretty crazy times when it comes to hiring and retaining employees. And the Forrester Prediction 2023 report made a great point that we've gone from the great resignation, right, of 2021 and all that goes with that in terms of compensation, competition, being creative on how to position and attract the best talent to the 2022 and 2023 narrative now with the recession and now doing massive layoffs and everything we're hearing in the technology industry, some of the big players, right-sizing their organization. And I think it's all about right-sizing the organization effectively, not only to meet short-term, but be prepared for the long-term. So Gina, how have you seen these huge swings impact businesses in the professional services industry? That is a really
1: amazing question, and you're spot on. These are crazy and unprecedented times. You know, we have business professionals that are staring a possible economic recession in the face as we go through the year 2023, and and then as you've stated, there's been very visible public layoffs, and many organizations have pulled back on hiring, and yet at the same time, in very simple economic terms, there's a a dramatic labor shortage. There's 5 million more openings than there are people and talent to fill those openings, and so employers are finding that they have these skill shortages, and yet at the same time, are having to really think about how to focus on retention and candidate priorities, like flexibility and career development. So this is a really hard one, I think, to kind of get your head around because we have the publicized layoffs and then we anticipate that there's a lot of people on the market. On the other hand, it's harder than ever to find the talent that we all want because we all want the same amazing people and be able to afford them and then build the narrative to actually hire them. But your question to me was really about how businesses have been impacted And when I think about that, one of the pieces as we were preparing, Banu, we talked about the Gartner research. And according to Gartner, by 2025, labor volatility will cause 40% of all organizations to report material business losses as they really are struggling with ensuring consistency and stability in their operations. And this is a really timely statistic for me because yesterday I was talking to a former colleague who shared that turnover and the tight labor market for her company was making it necessary for her to write checks back to some of the customers because her company was so under-resourced that she and her company could not deliver on their implementation commitments. So that's a very real issue facing businesses today is how do you have the right capacity and the right resources, really having the right talent and the skills at the right time. Gardner also pointed out that, and I thought this was a brilliant statement that they made, they thought about it as a multidimensional approach. Because if you think historically, when there's a need for talent, the business goes to HR or in the professional services, they go to the resource management office and they they think it's their job to go figure this out. But Gartner's perspective was that this resiliency dialogue is really more of a CEO and boardroom discussion than it is an HR topic or discussion. And I really appreciate that. And as a matter of fact, I was at the Cantata board meeting last week. And in fact, one of the main topics that we were addressing The other thing that I think about, Banu, in addition to that point, is around employee burnout. One of the business impacts is really thinking about, with this heightened turnover, with the long lead times to fill positions and the uncertain economy, employees are asked to take on more and cover for the capacity gaps while they're either waiting to find people or they're onboarding and ramping individuals to join the team. And I definitely think this has impacted business, and it really poses a risk for the sustainability of the business. You know, as I think about just kind of wrapping up my thought around this, Forrester Future of Work Research really gave us some guidance, and I thought it was really pretty profound. The quote was that they recommended that leaders steer a steady course and avoid reactive moves in response to the headline of the moment. And when I take that internally and think about what that means to my team and my company, I think about our recruiting operations. And even with the tight labor contractions and the labor market and hiring freezes across various tech industries, we really need to ensure that our hiring machine remains solid and it's enabled and it's ready to fire once the business accelerates because it will accelerate. And especially what we know about how hard it will be to find talent, not only today, but in the coming years. So that's what I would leave you with in terms of business impact is just really thinking about not being reactive, but instead really thinking about your long-term strategy.
0: You know, you bring up a great point. We actually touched on this in the last LinkedIn live session as well around, we talked about Dan Shapiro, CEO of LinkedIn's interview during Bloomberg Business Week session. And he talked about being an adaptive leader versus a reactive one. And the key point there is there's a lot of noise out there. Let's make sure you're not responding to the noise, but taking in the time to actually understand the information, synthesize it, make your decisions based on that, but also then be very clear and transparent in communicating back out to your teams so they understand everything that has gone behind it. So really appreciate you bringing it up because we also touched on that in the last session. On that note, how do you think then businesses will adapt and what long-term effects do you think they're going to see?
1: I really think you hit the nail on the head when you said two things. You said adapt and you said communication. The pandemic showed us that there's really no going back to normal and that there's only a next normal and that businesses really need to continue to evolve and flex to meet all of the needs of their stakeholders, including their employees. And what's top of mind for me when I think about these long-term effects is the talent turnover and the scarcity that will remain a risk for all businesses was that when I was looking at some statistics on voluntary turnover this year, as I was preparing for our board meeting and really thinking about what we wanted to forecast for our company, the work Institute says that voluntary turnover is expected to be 35% this year. That's crazy. That's such a high number because most people would think, well, no one's going to switch jobs because of the uncertain economy. But in fact, people are switching jobs And at the same time, it's difficult to find people because some people are staying put and they don't want to take the chance to move somewhere else right now. I think the message here is that the employees are definitely still in control when it comes to the work and the flexibility that they require and need. And even Gardner was able to recognize that with 52% of employees saying the flexible work policies will affect their decision to stay at organizations. And I've seen that firsthand in my own life, just the higher quality of impact I have by having a more flexible schedule, because Benu, as you know, at at Cantata, we're a remote and hybrid company, so really love that we're able to offer that. When I think about another longer-term impact, I think about the word change, and more importantly, constant change, where change is really the norm, not a, um, oh, we've got to get through the change, and then we'll go back to doing X or Y. And more importantly, when I think about the skills needed for organizations, Communication and leading change are the skills that are most lacking by almost every research study that I've been able to see. If you think about what you know about change, a famous Greek philosopher had said there's nothing permanent except change. And I think that's more true now than ever. Just another tagline regarding change, we all want to have the momentum for real transformation. And I just wanted to remind as we're thinking about change and that it is our constant and really more the fabric of how we operate a business now, I think about the importance of balancing not only the rational case for change that we make to our employees, but bundling that with the emotional appeal for change and really helping leaders and people understand that this isn't today's flavor of the day. It really is a mindset that we need to all think about as we try to build sustainable and amazing businesses. And then, but the last thing that I would add in terms of the business impact, and it probably to me is the most important. And it's just this, we have to find a way to keep our amazing talent. You can think about that strategically. What do you need to do? Or you can be really scrappy in your approach, whether it's through stay interviews or your employee value proposition we have to think about what makes it worth it to stay or join your organization. And especially Gen Z is going to hold our feet to the fire when it comes to, is it worth it for me to join your organization? And so I'm super focused, as a matter of fact, laser focused on not only hiring great, but then creating this irresistible experience that will retain our people. Because I believe that if you don't put people first, you're missing what is now the new labor currency, which is flexibility and career development.
0: Yeah, it makes sense. At this point, I want to dive in a little bit more than Gina into the challenges that companies will be facing in adapting, right? And making sure that they've adapted appropriately. I want to start out by referencing research that Forrester conducted. And in that research, they identified that predicting resource needs is one of the top of mind issues or challenges within the professional services organizations. And then we did actually a podcast with Mark Lacroix of RMI to discuss the survey they did and the findings of that survey, which found 50% of professional services organizations can only forecast their resource needs within two months. And RMI's best practice is six months. Now, I know within Kentata and a lot of our clients are using Kentata solutions as a way to automate and close this gap, right? And the way they do it is by identifying the needs for resources really early on in the pipeline stage when it's committed and already starting to self allocate, but also being able to allocate resources, whether it's soft allocation or hard allocation for the period duration, foreseeable future of the backlog or a project. And with that, you can not only predict your resource needs and skill needs within the next six months, but hopefully beyond that, which allows you to not react, but proactively right size. And when I talked about effective right sizing, those are some of the key aspects of it. But then let's assume that in that, as we do that, as we forecast demand, now we identify we're going to have some skill gaps and we need to hire. What are some of the challenges and ha- ways to overcome hiring and skill gap challenges?
1: That is definitely a challenge, Manu. You know, workforce demographic changes are shrinking our talent pool. As you know, from just looking at, you know, the retirement age of people entering retirement and then the fewer global births just making it a much smaller talent pool to begin with. And one of the ways that businesses can overcome this talent challenge is to not just focus on a recruiting process to bring in these amazing talents into your business, but really thinking about a talent strategy as you consider buying and hiring external talent. And with that, two main thoughts come to mind for me. One is more about how do you just blow the top off the top of the funnel, and be able to broaden your talent pool. And then the second thought is really about it being so competitive. Once you have a good pool of people to consider, how do you, in this highly competitive environment, get people to be most interested in you? So when I think about kind of broadening, you know, top of the funnel, one of the things that comes to mind for me is Cantata is rolling out our new training for our hiring managers next month as an example. And our goal is to be able to really think about the broadest pool of candidates possible and being able to evaluate candidates on things like behavioral-based competencies and skills rather than requiring what might be unnecessary requirements, for example, maybe X years of experience or a certain type of school or degree. So really thinking about what are the adjacent skills and really being able to evaluate if people have those competencies and skills to bring into the business. For example, uh, one of the things that we look at when we hire BDRs is w- one group of pool of people that we think are highly qualified are former recruiters. First pass, it wouldn't look like those would be interchangeable positions, but we in fact do look at people in HR and recruiting as possible BDR candidates, knowing that we can focus on this skills and adjacent skills idea. Just finally, one of the ideas I'm still really excited about and want to spend more time thinking about it, when you're broadening the funnel, it's really this idea of bringing people back into the workforce. And so, I've been toying with the idea of doing a returnship, sort of like an internship, but the idea would be to return people back to the workforce, maybe who have stopped and paused to raise their kids, or maybe they retired and want to come back, or maybe they just want to come back in a part time or gig uh, capacity. So. The first piece for me is really about just opening that talent pool and just exploring all the diversity and all of the nuances out in the market and getting the most talent possible. And then once you've done that, as I mentioned before, it's how do you really get people to choose you? It's so competitive. And we all know that rising wages are here to stay and companies have to be competitive by doubling down typically on the non-monetary aspects. Of the employee experience. And that requires us to really think about what we're doing around wellness. How do we approach time off? Are we investing in our people and creating learning experiences in the flow of work? Are we a people first company? What are we doing in terms of our workforce model? Is it flexible, hybrid, et cetera? So we're having to really think about what's it going to take to really make sure people are interested in us and select us as their employer of choice.
0: I love the concept of returnship and expanding the pool that we're choosing from, you know, some great ideas and thoughts there. Now, hiring is, you know, and closing skill gap is one side of the spectrum. The other side of the spectrum that many are facing are positions that are being put on hold and you have to do more with less. From that perspective, what do companies need to do to retain and optimize current talent?
1: Banu, that's a great question. It's an age old HR question, right? Do you buy talent or do you build talent? And the answer for me is really around making an investment in learning and upskilling our people about focusing on engagement and making sure that people want to stay and feel motivated and haven't quietly quit as you read about in the, in the news. And then really, I think it's in a commitment, not just having a policy practice around internal mobility, uh, but about making a commitment to truly consider the movement of talent within your organization. If I could start with the idea of investing in learning and development, as you said, with fewer people available to fill the positions, we need each and every person and every one of those individuals to be equipped and capable of doing the work effectively. So how do you invest in people and their learning and their growth? We look at skill sets over that we've required over the years in business. And those of you who've been around for a while have seen the dramatic change in the skills that you need five years ago compared to what you need today. Some of the research shows that in skill sets for jobs have changed by, say, 25 percent since 2015, and it's expected to double by 2027. And skill building is a great way to close those gaps in addition to hiring or contracting. And that's because internal hires, as you would expect, have a lower sourcing cost, they onboard faster, and the research shows that they stay twice as long. So this is really about people sustainability and really building the capabilities that your business needs for future success. So investing in learning and development, investing in skills, investing in your leaders. Uh, last year at Cantata, we placed what we called a big bet on our leadership development And we recognize that leaders were not only the tentacle of communication into the organization, but they also represent the single largest factor in employee satisfaction. So we designed an entire curriculum and strategy around how do you give managers the essentials they need around performance management, hiring techniques, et cetera, but then also teach them to grow, to lead themselves, to lead others, and then to lead the business, So leader development was extremely important to us and something that I think is critical if you're optimizing talent. But Banu, it really isn't just about the leaders. When you think about developing our people and and growing our people within our business, it's about really investing in the entire population. If you've looked at some of the research on LinkedIn and other places, it talks about two in three workers have quit because of a lack of career growth. And 90% of them would have stayed had they thought there were opportunities ahead. And so I think it's really just about giving workers a sense of traction, progress, and frankly, hope when it comes to current and then future options. So it's really twofold. It's about not only training and skilling people to be able to fill those gaps in the business, but then it's also about the internal mobility. And I made the comment a minute ago about really thinking about it as a commitment To be able to invest in people so that they could change careers without changing companies so that they had visible and known career paths so that managers were asking the question, what do you want to do? What are you excited to learn? How can I help you grow? Not only in this role, but in our business and in this team. So I love the idea of really doubling down on the current talent and helping everybody maximize their potential. And I really think it makes such a difference to the business. And one of the pieces that I think is hidden, when you talk about internal mobility, it's less risky, less expensive, faster ramp, builds capacity. But one of the undercurrents of not doing internal mobility is that it impacts employee well-being. Again, here is well-being once again, in terms of if you're able to move quicker to have a higher velocity of filling the needs of the business then you're not putting the burden on people who essentially are still there keeping the lights on for us. So it helps everybody's mental health and well-being, and the success of the business and the department by thinking about and developing our people, but then giving them opportunities. So I guess if I had to give you the bottom line, it's about building engagement to keep your people investing in them, growing them, and then ultimately enabling your business to sustain success.
0: Fantastic. I do want to take a minute to celebrate Cantata's success and your and your team's success, because within the first year of being working on becoming the integrated company that is now Cantata, we were recognized as being the best place to work. Now, I don't know if that's unheard of, but it is actually amazing, right? Because we know all who have gone through organizational changes There is so much upheaval that within that year, being able to be recognized as the best place to work is a huge accomplishment. So congratulations. Thank you. But with that, what are some of the key success factors that led to this result?
1: Thank you, Banu. And over the past year, we have made significant progress towards building a cantata culture. As you had mentioned, we brought together two competitors who both had amazing but distinct cultures. As I thought about, you know, how did we build the culture that was recognized by others and frankly recognized by ourself as well? As I think about your question, one word comes to mind for me loud and clear. And that word is intentional. Our HR team and our ELT, our executive leadership team have been very deliberate about deposits we've been making to build this great culture and have this high level of engagement. In fact, our Pulse Survey engagement scores have exceeded industry benchmark averages since we implemented our Office Vibe tool seven months ago. And when I think about deposits, maybe that's not a common HR term that other companies use, but for me, a deposit could be as small as the language or tone of how you think about time off for a PTO policy, or it can be as big as like designing a framework of flexibility and what is your working model and philosophy as a company. I believe, you know, making deposits is really built into the fabric of Cantata's business model. And so when I think about the things that we've done, a few nuggets really come to mind for me about how we built our engagement strategy at Cantata. So I'd like to spend just a couple minutes and tell you a little bit about our journey and some of what we've experienced. And uh, hopefully it'll be something insightful that others could consider. Or of course, we would always welcome ideas about how to even get better every day.
0: That's fantastic.
1: Yeah. Thank you, Banu. When we started a year ago, January, from the beginning, we have said that people are our top priority. And as a matter of fact, when we were going through the integration, we put together an acronym in the HR work stream called the People Factor. And we use the word factor, F-A-C-T-O-R. And we use that as an acronym to mean F for flexibility, A for acquiring talent, C for culture and communication. We looked at T as a way to have total rewards that were equitable and fair. And then O was about our building an HR infrastructure that had consistent processes and fairness and policies across the new organization. And then we capped it off with R, which was, you know, how do you redesign and and build your new org structure, ultimately with the R being retention. And so we did this very intentional because we wanted the HR work stream to keep the people factor top of mind, because if you look at any of the research around successful integrations, it is about making sure the people factor remains top of mind and not something that you don't put the focus on. That from the very beginning was important to us. And then in fact, when we did establish our new cantata values, put people first became our top value. So I thought that was really beginning right out of the gate to establish people as a top priority And then the second thing that we did, which I've done it in other companies and it hasn't been nearly as successful in terms of how it resonated with our cantata culture, but it was around establishing a cantata playbook. And the playbook was not only shared publicly in our biweekly all hands meetings, but it was actually, I keep a copy at my work and my home office. We have playbooks that we share with every single person in the company. And it wasn't just a culmination of a lot of cool stuff. It really became our North Star it had our vision, why we exist, again, reiterated our values and our priorities, including our OKRs. But what we did really, really well, Banu, is that we put the playbook into action. And we had workshops that brought this message to life to help people resonate with the words on the page, to connect with our purpose, to find meaning, and to understand where what they were doing in their work, how that fit in the overall context of why our business did exist and what we are trying to achieve. So I thought that was really helpful. You know, We started with the people factor. We built out a playbook in action. And then the third thing that I would highlight is something I've mentioned just a bit before. Which it's really about making the decision to invest in our people. We brought in the Office Vibe tool, which I highlighted just a minute ago, that really provides amazing feedback and insights where we can listen to our people and, more importantly, take action when we see that something isn't what we'd like it to be. We established wellness credits, did a lot of work around women and technology and about bringing people together in really a more intimate setting in person because we realized that that's so critical for investing in our people. And then, as I said before, investing in our people with one of our big bets being around our learning culture and and having learning be part of who we are as an organization. So I would just add that those were some things that come to mind and just close with, as we think about. Creating an environment that is highly engaged. For us, a lot of it had to do with creating that culture of feedback, not only through the tool that I've mentioned, but through the one on one conversations that we encourage every uh, leader and employee to have. And then in building out recognition framework, whether it was uh, recognizing our values based behaviors through our flare awards, whether it was sending someone a good vibe, which was a virtual postcard that they could get from anybody in the company. Or it was recognizing our top performers as part of our peak performer incentive program. So a lot of work going into engagement. And, and you're probably thinking, well, that sounds super fun. I love it there. But the reality is the research studies have shown that there is a really high correlation between employee engagement and a company's bottom line. As a matter of fact, I recall seeing feedback from Gallup where highly engaged teams were 21% more profitable. Towers Watson pointed out that the turnover rate was half with highly engaged teams. The Hay Group saw a 43% increase in productivity. There's high customer satisfaction scores. Aon Hewitt looked at shareholder value and saw that it was 22% higher. If I could leave you with this on this topic, there's really kind of a, I like to call it an orange thread through all this about really intentionally building an irresistible and differentiated work culture that truly puts people first. And Cantata, Benu, you know this, we challenge ourselves to be more than just a great place to work. We've evolved to also want to be a great place that we encourage people to grow their career.
0: Yeah, no, congratulations, Gina. Again, a huge accomplishment. And based on everything you've explained, it makes sense, hats off. I, I also wanted to bring the audience to the podcast that we did. It was podcast session 35 with our own Christine Dunham, who is part of your team and responsible for some of these successes. And we touched more on the engagement, the whole feedback loop and Office Vibe. And I talked about how much I love Office Vibe as a tool and everything you guys have done with that tool. A tool is a tool. It's everything you've done in operationalizing Office Vibe that allows timely feedback immediately. As soon as you provide a feedback, someone's getting back to you on this is what we're going to do with your feedback, which is fantastic. So great, great ideas. And thank you for sharing those. Any closing thoughts that you want to leave with the audience, Gina?
1: I guess I would just close by saying that something that is obvious, but yet not oftentimes top of mind, and it's that businesses start and end with people. People are the visionaries that have these bold ideas about where a company can go and what we can design. People are the ones that build the products and the services. These don't sell themselves. People go and sell these services. People implement the solutions and people support our customers. So we're all people-powered businesses and people and humans are complex beings. So as we think about how to get the most out of people, in my mind, it's really about the whole person. And then also recognizing that people have choices. And as business leaders, I would suggest that we make very intentional choices every day to rehire our employees. I'm super lucky because as you mentioned with Christine and others, I'm super lucky because I have a team that wakes up every day thinking about how can we illuminate the reasons for people to stay, to be engaged, to contribute to our culture and ultimately help our business move forward faster. So in summary, if I could kind of wrap it up, you know, I think as you pointed out earlier, it's about being adaptive rather than reactive and always making sure to put people first.
0: Yeah. And, and I want to add to that because I agree people is critical, but also wanted to make sure that everyone is always thinking that in a high labor volatility market, it is critical to focus also on optimizing your processes and automation, right? Great people. It's critical, but optimizing your processes and automation ensures that you can actually respond to your business needs and your customer and make sure that you sustain your customer experience. Even when you have volatility, as people leave and you onboard people, your processes and your tools will allow you to sustain and adapt and respond. So please, yes, focus on your people, but also Keep sight into your processes, continue to mature the processes to make sure that they're predictable and repeatable. With that note, Gina, again, I have really enjoyed our conversation and appreciated all the great wisdom you have shared with us today. And again, celebrating your successes and your team's successes. If you have any questions about today's topics, you can reach out to us through LinkedIn. And be sure to sign up for session three in our series that will be taking place in March 21st at 9 a.m. PSD and noon ESD. In that session, we will be talking to Tom Beck, the executive director of the Society of Digital Agencies, about agency spending, strategic priorities and key industry trends. There will be some great insights uncovered as we dig into the annual study that Soda and Forrester collaborated on too. So please don't miss it. Uh, I'm excited for this next session. I think I'm getting the hang of this LinkedIn Live. So thank you for joining me on this, Gina. And thanks, audience. Appreciate it. Thank you.
1: If you enjoyed this podcast, let us know by giving the show a five-star review on your favorite podcast platform and leaving a comment. If you haven't already subscribed to the show, you can do so anywhere you get podcasts, on any podcast app. And to learn more about the power of Cantata's purpose-built technology, go to cantata.com. Thanks again for listening.